0: CPL Fever, your source for news on Canadian soccer and the CPL. Join me, Jack Murray and Andrew Murray, as we break down the news and the excitement surrounding the Canadian Premier League and all of its teams. We have interviews, analysis, predictions, rankings and more. So get it right, pump up the volume and let's get into some football. Hey guys, welcome to CPL Fever. It's your host, Jack and Andy Murray here. And today on another episode of Soccer is getting to the journey. We are absolutely thrilled, absolutely thrilled to have Canadian soccer icon, striker, the one and only in Hill. So how are you?
1: Oh, I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm looking forward to this. Got me a bit nervous now, like but <laughs> starting <laughs> off like that. But looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to interview you, like I said, so I can't wait to ask you some questions. And the first question that I have for you is, how did you fall in love with soccer?
1: Um, well, coming from a, a British background, it's, it's kind of culture over there. Um, so my dad, or well, my whole family, is Scottish born and bred. Um, moved over to Canada when I was a year and a half old, and you can't take me out of out of that mentality with my dad was never a player he played locally but he had a love for the game and still has and um my brother and I we were kind of not forced into it but we it it, it was our it was in our makeup right away so that he he put us both in and funny enough I didn't like it when I started but I was (laughs) only three like I was three years old so I didn't know what I liked um so yeah I, I wanted to play baseball which was a big no-no for my dad it's like no you can you can sit the year out so I was like I think I was three and a half when I first played I didn't take to soccer right away and he's like no you can wait till next year you're not playing baseball wait till next year you can try soccer again. and just with respect to baseball for all you baseball fans out there I am a Blue Jays fan so I've grown into that sport um, but yeah it's, as soon as I started playing at four I came back the next year started playing at four and I fell in love with the game and it's like i said being from a a british background it's it's our makeup it's like hockey in canada for the most part You, you you just love the game it's just one of those you're born into loving the game and that was the same with me and my brother and my brother's three years older than me so by the time i was able to compete a little bit with him um i just fell in love with it a bit more and more and more and it just grew and even to this day i'm a bit of a soccer geek and I watch everything like I've watched almost every game of the Euros when I've had the chance to and It's just it's just in my blood. It's it's something that I'll never ever uh, Shy away from it. It's something I love
2: Do you think um, having an older brother helped you develop as uh, as a player because you, you always had someone that was Kind of better than you until you got to a certain level yeah, he wasn't better than me. <laughs> no, <okay. laughs> well I mean I mean when when you're four or five I'm I'm assuming maybe he, he could he could get it around you.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, No, but that's 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 how I turned into the player I am is, is he was my he was my training partner all the time and I'd train with his team. Like I said, he's three years older than me, so I'd train with his team and um when I got to that age, maybe seven when I started playing rep soccer, when I was, I think it was about six and a half, seven. When I started playing rep, but I was playing under nine, so it was kind of uh, one of those. I, I train with them all the time, and that's why I became the type of person and player I am. Is I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm very sure of myself when I'm playing, and I make sure everyone knows I'm there, and that came with being beaten around by a, by a three year older brother and his team and. And training with them in practice, and like going up and a little kid that goes and collects all the balls, and I'm kicking it better than a bunch of the kids that are older than me and he was he was probably my my best training partner to this day that's why like we're best friends we're we work together we're we're coaching together now, and it's uh I wouldn't have been where I was and where I've been if it wasn't for him when I was younger
0: yeah, that's an awesome story, and my little brother is actually only five so there's a big age difference but me and my little brother we love to kick it around we love to pass it to each other he we try and beat our passing record with him um and he and he's and he's now starting to learn like how how to pass it like with the inside of his foot and use his other foot which daddy actually taught me at like four years old which i'm so grateful for because now i can actually use both feet very well so yeah
1: be careful he's gonna come and get you he's gonna you know <laughs> You know he's going to try and be better than you. But it's <laughs> uh, great to hear about your, your wrong foot. That's something my dad taught me from a very young age. As soon as he found out I was right-footed, we used to do practice sessions where I wasn't allowed to use my right foot. Wow. Okay. So he, okay. In the basement, in the backyard, in in the carport outside our house, he used to get me kicking the ball against the wall and not allowed to use my good foot. And that's why I can strike a ball the way I do with my left foot. Is is it? it I don't think twice about it. Whereas a lot of people who are one footed when it 's on their wrong foot they they try and chop it back onto their good foot and me it's it's, it's second nature and I, I just kind of close my eyes and swing but um now I've, I've worked very very hard, and it's good to hear that at a young age you're doing that because that's it's something that is overlooked far too much by a lot of players
2: yeah well that's yeah that's so interesting to hear about uh, how he how he kind of made you like. Practice just with that, with that uh, that foot, because obviously, even when you're playing at, at the top level that you've been playing with internationally or, or um, you know over in England or or wherever, you've probably been able to have an advantage because you you know certain players really favor a certain foot.
1: Yeah, well that that's it, and with me being short, with me I'm not the quickest. I was I was quick but I wasn't, the, I wasn't rapid. <clears throat> um, I had to make sure that I had other things that that people didn't have. And I'm very good in the air. Played a lot of yeah. basketball when I was in school when I was a kid. And I was very competitive and very, very good when I was in high school and everything. Um, but that's another thing that helped me was jumping. I can out jump majority of people, um, left foot, right foot. And my physicality, like I said with my brother is, these are things that I had to make sure were on point because I potentially was a little bit behind in other aspects of my game, was wasn't a hundred meter sprinter, wasn't six foot. So and I'm not I'm not the most skillful player. I'm skillful when it comes to my basics. And I know that I've got my basics on point and that's something that I that I worked on so much as a kid was my first touch knowing what reading the game and things that my dad and my brother worked on with me was was to make sure that if I wasn't excelling past or beyond other players that certain aspects of my game were were fundamentally sound and that was something that I worked on so hard.
0: Okay. And you mentioned reading the game. So did you watch a lot of soccer and did that help you um like read the game and if so what are, what were like some things that you watch for when you watch soccer, like some um, tips from <clears throat> learning? From learning,
1: well, I'm I'm a striker, so oh. if I watch games, especially when when me and my brother started watching games, it it was well, I'd I'd say we started watching properly is when uh, used to be Soccer Saturday on TSN with Graham Leggett, <clears throat> and I'm going back late eighties. Early 90s. Um, it was on on a Saturday and a Sunday. And they'd play all the Premier League games. And me and my brother and my dad would go to the pub. Because it was the only place you could get them. <clears throat> uh, at least with an atmosphere. But we would sit there and we'd, we'd watch. Like I'd watch strikers. So at that time it was like your Andy Coles and Dwight Yorks and Robbie Fowlers. and These guys. And you're watching them. And for me I'd watch their movement where they move in aspect to where the ball is. and I try and look okay, like a lesson I'm never, ever and I never was as good as any of them. But if you can try and read and see mannerisms and the way they, their heads on a swivel all the time and they're looking around, it helps you. And it doesn't have to be Premier League. It could be any league, but watching people in your position or positions that you play, like I played out wide as well when I was younger. So, Watching that and how to make the game bigger and how to make the feel bigger, so you have a bigger picture. These are these are things that I I what's the wording I, I indirectly watched without just yes. sitting there staring at them. I made sure that that was something in the game that I was paying attention to, and I think it was a, it was a great tool for me because it, it, it's even a bigger tool for this generation because you got so much soccer on so many channels from so many yes. countries we didn't have that back then we had literally the premier league so we had to watch the premier league at the time and it was uh it was great for me and like i said before i'm i'm a bit of a soccer geek so i do enjoy watching even now i do because i'm i'm moving into the different aspect of my career as a coach is okay. i'm still trying to learn all the time and i'm watching games and i'm watching formations and positioning of players and and how the better teams do well with the formation, then you possibly watch a lesser off a lesser team, and see them in the same formation and how do they counteract the bigger teams when they play in that. So I'm I'm still constantly learning, and I think that's something that people need to remember: is nobody knows everything about the game, nobody does. You may think you do, and you may think you know an awful lot, which you do, but you don't know everything. So there's always a chance to learn at all times.
2: Um, I have a question. Do you think that, I mean, obviously, Canadian soccer is, you know, getting better now. But do you think one of the reasons that Canada is kind of behind a lot of these other countries um, or was, you know, more recently, do you think that's because soccer wasn't a part of the culture and the kids growing up weren't able to or or wasn't in the culture to watch a lot of soccer? So they didn't kind of absorb the nuances um, as opposed to just being, you know, maybe the the coaching wasn't there. Um, I think it
1: doesn't help that it wasn't a part of the culture. You had a lot, like it's still, I think it's maybe proven wrong by somebody out there. But um, last I seen, it was probably two or three times more played by kids up, I think from from five till nineteen. I think it is almost three times more than any other sport in Canada. So it's not like we don't play the game, I just I think there's there's just something's been there where it's we didn't have the especially when I came through, we didn't have any avenues. So through my generation, the generation before, we didn't have TFC, we had Toronto Lynx, we didn't have Montreal Impact in the MLS, we had Montreal Impact playing in the A-League. We didn't have CPL, we didn't have our only avenues were you take a risk and go abroad or you wait till you're 18 and go to university down in the states mm. so we didn't have that myself julian de guzman tiba hutchinson Dwayne de rosario we didn't have those avenues at the time and oh. um we we took the chance and okay Dwayne stayed over here he played for rochester and the Lynx and everything so he Forged his own path and he was, he was kind of a trendsetter in that way because he moved down to San Jose and then did so well in the MLS. But other players who, who didn't wait it out, I, I, w- I left, went on my first trials when I was 13. So I was already set in my mind where I wanted to be and wh- what I wanted to do at 13 years old, which was far beyond a lot of people. Not saying I was better than them, but I already had that mindset of once I got my first trial, that was my, my pathway. And I didn't want to wait till I was 18 to go to university. I didn't want to finish and to my detriment now and still to this day at 37 years old, I didn't finish my high school, which is something I really, really wish I did. Um, but in hindsight, I played nearly 600 games and played all over the world. So I did what I loved to do and I dreamed. Of doing from a, such a young age, I'd done that for 20 plus years. So it kind of weighs itself out, and still look back, and I might go back and finish my my high school. But at the moment, I'm I'm just enjoying it. And I think uh, I think Canadian soccer now, with the avenues that are available to kids um, from <clears throat> from all ages through your 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 especially in Ontario, your OPDL, you've got your um, I think it's Ontario Provincial Development League or something like that. Um, still, try, I'm still trying to get up with the lingo of, uh, of the Canadian soccer program, the Ontario soccer program, but um, it's it's avenues that weren't there. These codes, they've got paid coaches, qualified coaches, whereas a lot of places are still on volunteer coaches. So at what point do you... Where, where does your expectation level go to and when does it start to get to that level? Is if you if you're playing for an under seventeen under seven uh team here in Ontario and you got a paid coach, the likelihood is your development's gonna go on a little bit quicker. So it's something we never had and I think now that it's going there, you're you're seeing the fruits of it because you've got your kids coming through. Like look at our Florence Davies mm-hmm. and Jonathan David and uh Theo Corbianu and Luke Scavellini and you got all these kids coming through and they're they're very, very, very good. Like You know what I mean? I'm I'm not saying they're 100 miles better than some of the kids that maybe came through the system back then, but they got the opportunities earlier. They got into the right places earlier, and they've excelled a lot quicker, which I think is something that is great, and it's a great time to become a Canadian soccer fan and a Canadian soccer player because you have so many pathways available to you know
0: yeah and i agree and i think that um with all these like great players that like you said coming through and like um like yourself atiba hutchison Hutchison, um and all these amazing players they've kind of like helped set the pathway for canadian soccer players whether if you want to um play abroad like in europe or if you want to like try even in the cpl now and it's so great that the cpl is here because you can go to the cpl um, you can make the jump up to like the MLS or you can even go like abroad and try and play in Europe. There are so many options for Canadian players and I think like that um, even these big clubs are starting to see that. Like Atletico Madrid just invested in a club for the Canadian Premier League and Atletico Madrid is one of the biggest clubs in the world. It just won La Liga.
1: Yeah, like I I was very fortunate and I, I played for a sister club of Atletico Madrid in India. So I know where they went and did their preseason. It's an incredible facility. So they went there. They were out there for, for two and a half months. And I spent a month out there a couple of years ago, or twice, two years. I spent a month out there for preseasons. And it's an incredible facility. And it's it's great for them to have that. And I'm, I won't be surprised if you see other big clubs in the future coming in and investing and possibly part-owning or whatever in, in the same vein as uh, Atletico Madrid. But... That's it. Like the CTL is—it's just another avenue that's now there because you—you you already had your, your Ottawa Fury up until they—they they disbanded, and um, you—you you had your TFC, TFC two, your TFC academies, and it's something that Canada's needed for a very, very long time. And there was always question marks about why we weren't competing and why we weren't developing. And we had we had a pool of players that was maybe. And realistically, twenty deep, twenty-five deep for the men's national team, who you could actually look at and say, "This guy's a first-team player; he belongs in the Canadian squad." Now they have maybe forty or fifty, if not more. And I think it's it's incredible. It's incredible. The CPL, as well, like you said, is <clears throat> it's a lot of homegrown talent. I would have loved to have played there. Not going to be sour grapes or anything like that on on this, but. I would have loved to have played there to finish my career. The opportunity never came up. Um, but you've got a lot of kids coming out and they're learning. It's not quite on the, the level of where they were hoping it would be yet, but it's getting better and better. And, I, and it's great to have that, that again, another pathway. It's, and something local. You can play for your local team. Like how many guys are from the, especially in Ontario, from the, the Toronto and uh, York area that are playing for York, and then you've got your Burlington Hamilton area that are playing for Forge, and I think it's incredible that they've got that. And it's, uh, we just hope, hopefully, we'll get the fans out a bit more because you don't have to travel into Toronto to go watch TFC. You haven't got to go into the city to watch your your Whitecaps over there. Go and watch Pacific, and it's 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 incredible. And you guys out there because mm-hmm. it's an incredible one for you to go out and watch Halifax it's, uh, i was i'll tell you this now I was very close to signing for them two years ago um, Long conversations with Stephen about it and nearly happened and it fell through at the last minute and I was devastated because i 'd had my family set on coming over we'd we'd been looking around at where we'd live and all that and it would have been an incredible one for me to finish my career playing in Canada and i'd never been to oh. Halifax, so it would have been incredible for me. Um I hear so much about your, your seafood and your 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 <laughs> your lobster and all that and it's something I'm I'm a massive seafood eater so I, I was I was really, really looking forward to it, to be honest. But unfortunately it fell through and um that was the first C P L so but it looks a bit I'm a little bit long in the tooth now for the for the league, so it's um hey, never know. I might come out there at some point. Steven's still there, Steven's still tearing things up and doing so well, so who knows I might be able to help them out in the, in the future in some capacity.
0: Yeah, I would love to see that. And when you said that you almost signed for that, I was like, I could not believe that because I had never, I never heard about anything like of that sort. So it was super cool that that almost happened. And stream of seafood, yeah, the seafood here is amazing. You should definitely come <laughs> and try it. Um,
1: I will. I'll, I'll, I'll hold, I'm going to hold you there. I'm going to trust you on that. I'm going to travel out there at some point. Once things clear up as far as travel goes, I'll have to come out because I want to. Obviously, I want to see the setup out there. I want to. I want to try and visit a lot of the clubs around the country and try and <clears throat> see where where they're at as far as training goes. And I know Rob Gale and I know Jimmy Brennan and obviously Stephen Hart. And it'd be good to to have a look in at things around the country because, unfortunately, as, as much as I've spent time in Canada when I was growing up and travelling around with the national team, I've not really visited a lot of places. <laughs> it's a crazy one. You don't get a chance to. So although I'm Canadian international footballer and been around, played in majority of places, there's a lot of places I still haven't been and been able to see and then I keep getting told there's some of the most beautiful places in Canada. So I will make that a part of my bucket list over the next couple of years.
2: Nice. So you're still setting goals? That's good to hear. Yeah.
1: I've got to, man. I've got to. I'm, I'm Canadian and I live in probably the most beautiful country in the world and I've not seen half of it, so yeah, have got to make an effort to do that.
2: Well, I have a, I have a question. I mean, there, there's been some, um, you know, most of the most of the CPL kind of has geared towards younger teams, um, but certainly, you know, they've had some players like Marcel de Jong, um, you know, who's, who's had a lot of experience. What is one of the advantages that, you know, someone with your level of experience could bring to those players in the CPL where a lot of them, that's their first, you know, rodeo as a professional soccer player.
1: I, I spoke about this after I watched the first CPL season. It was crying, and I wasn't talking about it, like I said before, was sour grapes about not having me there and whatever. Um, it... Needed experience. It needed people who could teach players. And there's no disrespect, not questioning their ability, right? But their their experience in how to manage a game, how to playing at home, how like watching Halifax. And Stephen will be the first one to say the guys needed to learn. And they'd play at home and they'd absolutely kill a team, win three nothing and seventy percent possession and. And they'd go away and try and do the exact same thing and lose two nothing or three nothing, because you're away from home, learning how to manage a game and manage a situation and an atmosphere. It doesn't work the same. Not every game is the exact same, and I, I think a lot of them, especially the first year and the second year, wasn't so wasn't so challenging because they were all in the same place. So it was kind of doing the bubble and whatnot. Um, but the, when they were traveling in the first CPL, I thought they were, you could see the inexperience. And that's, again, it's not any disrespect. It's, it's natural when you're playing 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds who've never played a professional game in their career. Right. So that's them wetting their toes. And it's kind of like they needed that experience. And lo and behold, you see the two teams that have dominated for the most part of the two CPL seasons are players with a bit of experience in them with your Calvary, with your Forge. You had Forge with Dave Edgar, uh, Kyle Becker, two very experienced international footballers.
2: Right.
1: Leadership. You had Nick Ledgerwood with Calvary <laughs> and Marcus Haber the second season with Cal- Calvary. And, um, I just thought it was evident who could manage games uh, a little bit better and who was more consistent with their performances. They wouldn't be... Very high and very low. They'd be very high and then maybe come down to to like a mid-level performance, and they'd they'd scrap scrap out a, uh, a point or a one nothing win, and that was evident for me over the the two seasons, especially the first one. I think the first one was stand out, and um, it's something again that's down to the league and bringing in players who have experience but don't understand the the game in Canada. It's it's, it's a tough one but it's getting there they they've i was a part of the indian league where it was first year and second year and third year fourth year fifth year and you see it grow exponentially every year like it was it was growing every single year and i think it was uh, even to now i think it's going into its eighth year and it still has teething problems everyone everywhere is going to have teething problems cpl is going to be the exact same But I think the only way you're going to get in players of that experience and of that level that you want is more investment. Mm -hmm. Sponsors from TV, um, morning soccer is doing an incredible job. Again, there's still ways to work around that and to improve it, but your big sponsors need to come in. They need to to help the clubs out. It's something that's going to happen. The MLS wasn't as big as it was right from day one, it had to grow. And um, they've known for what, twenty five years, twenty seven years, something like that, or thirty years I think it is. <clears throat> so there's there's definitely ways to improve, but it'll get there and it's we just need to make sure that it's it's continuing to to churn out these players. Like you said, MLS Europe after playing in the CPL is a distinct possibility. So like Tristan Bohr just went over there. Uh, a Joel Waterman went to to Montreal. You got these players who are getting these opportunities, so there's no reason why I can't grow.
0: Yeah, and um, Emilio Estevez went to um, Arden Hag, which is a pretty big accomplishment for the CPL, and that was in its first year. So it's it's encouraging, very encouraging to see the CPL doing well, and hopefully it'll do better and better and better.
1: Ah, oh, will do. Keep the faith. Yeah.
2: Uh, So you said that the Indian Super League, um, you actually were there for the first year, like when it started. Okay, How did how did did that story come about? And, you know, was there any hesitation on your part to, like, go to a country like India that's that's more known for cricket? And, you know, you're there for the for the start of the the season. You know, there must must have been a huge amount of unknowns going into that.
1: Oh, massively. It was was one of those, though, because it was the first time in my career I was out of contract. So, from moving over in 99 to 2014, 15, 2014, 2015, I'd never been out of contract. So, it was the first time I'd been out of contract. And um, I was actually doing a random uh, interview with a buddy who was doing a freelance for TSN. Mm-hmm. And it was about Leicester because Leicester just got promoted to the Premier League. And I obviously played three years at Leicester. So, he thought, who better to talk to than the Canadian player who's played for Leicester? So he comes in. We had a good hour and a half, two-hour conversation. Did the interview and whatnot. And then at the end of it, he just asked me if I knew about the league. And I hadn't. Um, I hadn't heard a thing about it. And he just he said, okay, well, I, gave me a, a guy's number. He goes, fire this guy a message and see what he thinks. And so I went home, spoke to the wife, spoke to my agent. He sent out an email and it was essentially just an adventure. The season only went from September to December. So it wasn't like I was gonna be away for a massive amount of time and it was uh, wasn't cash driven. A lot of people think I went out there and it was oh great to go out, it's easy, oh, you get paid a lot of money. Didn't get paid a lot of money, I got paid enough money to cover to cover my overheads, that was it. And went out there and just buzzed off it, enjoyed it and I got drafted in. So all your foreign players, all your Indian players were in separate drafts and literally had no idea where I was going. <laughs> I threw my name into a hat and woke up one day with about fifty emails and texts off the league and the, the owner of the club and the director of football from the club and introducing himself and it was it was it was surreal. It was something that was very very college basketball Hockey type thing where you're getting drafted in the league and very Americanized, which was weird for me. Um, after being in the UK system where you get transferred or signed, you don't get drafted in.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it was very North American sports, which was which was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just came from that, and I was just very fortunate to land it into a relatively British setup. So it kind of went in, and it was it was a it was a good go. It was a good. Good season, and I, I just for the adventure alone, it was it was it was mad, and just enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I was going to ask you do do you see any um, similarities? Uh, uh, do you see any similarities to Indian soccer and like Canadian soccer in terms of development um, or anything else? Um, mm-hmm. Just soccer wise.
1: Um. Canadian, and I'll be honest, and this is no detriment or disrespect to the Indian, uh, Indian Football League, is Canadian infrastructure far more advanced. It always has been. Um, we've been playing the game in Canada for, for a very, very long time. I've really been looking, well, I've been playing it here for 35 years almost. Um yeah. you've easily got to be going for 60 70 80 years where they've had uh developed leagues or actual like an infrastructure where you had house leagues and rep leagues and whatnot so they've not they don't have a lot of um youth leagues or didn't have a lot of youth leagues they're trying to develop them now with academies and whatnot but that's where your investment comes in you've got some some teams that are getting invested from europe into india um so, and they, the thing is with their, with the ISL, it, it's a spectacle. That's what they're about. They're about spectacles. And so you have your, you go to the games, you have your fireworks, you had, you used to have your cheerleaders and all that. And it was, they make a big Oh, really? Yeah. Like they make a big So it's got a deal.
2: little bit of that, like, uh, when they used to have that roller derby on TV or, or like, like kind of, like kind of like a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say WWF, but like a little bit of extra entertainment flair.
1: Yeah, because they, they need to sell it. Like, cause especially with it not being their main sport, you have some states in India which are very, very much in love with the game. But you also have, a, like, there's 1.4 billion people. So I'd, you'd probably be saying 75% of them are cricket fans over football, whereas um, well, about all of them are cricket fans, but over football, you've probably got 75% of them, if not more. So you've got to try and sell this to somebody who's interested, but it's not their first love. right? You know what I mean? So it's kind of, okay, well, you're coming to watch a game, you're going to have the owner of the league come out, or the first year especially, the owner of the league came to almost every game. Um, so she would walk on the pitch, and they'd do the introductions, and You'd get uh, fireworks before the game and big lead-ups to the games, and they make a spectacle of it. And I think that's something that uh, it got everybody on board as far as the fan base who weren't yeah. quite football fans yet. So it got them on board, and then I like, go, oh, well, I want to watch this. And then you bring in people and players who will get bums in seats, like your Del Piero's. And Over the first two seasons, we had Del Piero, we had... Uh, Matarazzi, Elano, Trezeguet, Enelka, Lundberg, um, Maluda, uh, Nesta, Captavia, Luis Garcia. You had all these big names who came and played. Robert wow, Pira okay. had all these names who came and played. And it was like, oh, I love that guy. So he won the World Cup, so I'm going to go watch him. Or he won this, I'm going to go watch. So got bums and seats and hmm certain states needed that more than others like Kerala where I played my first year would get sixty, sixty-five, seventy thousand 70,000 every week. Wow. So they were there anyways because they loved the game. Goa a little bit further up the west coast was the same. They get twenty-five, thirty thousand, 30,000 filled their stadium because they love the sport. Whereas your Delhi's and Mumbai's and and certain other places you'd struggle to get them in so you had to have somebody there who was going to draw them in. And yeah. It worked. Obviously, the pandemic has put a massive halt on that because of going into bubbles and not having fans. And it's the same as it was over here for the bubble last year for CPL. It's it's hard to get people to buy into watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. Question marks, especially in like CPL, trying to get people to buy into watching it on one soccer because they think they have to pay for it. It's wrong. But you still pay for... TSN they go and watch curling and cornhole and uh, roller derby. Like it, it, it's a, it's it's re- nothing's free. Like you never yeah. watched well, you've never watched a TSN and this is no hit at TSN and Sportsnet and CTV and all that. You've never watched any of them for free. Right, but, let's be honest, you had to pay for it. So one soccer's making sure that everyone can watch every CPL game, every Canada game, and this isn't me advertising for one soccer. I I think it's. I understand the question mark about paying for things, but nothing's free ever. So, if you're gonna, if you're in love with the game and you want to watch Canadian soccer grow, one soccer is the way to do it because they're going to have the, the pathway and the avenue there for you to watch it every single game. So, you can not argue about it if it's if it's giving you the product that you're after.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I and I personally really enjoyed one soccer. I loved watching you on one soccer, and it, I think it's. Great that they're playing like every Canadian Premier League game, like all the Canadian <laughs> games. Um, but how did you get involved with one soccer, and how are you enjoying it um, so far?
1: I'm um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, <clears throat> I love being in studio when I when I went in uh, for the last couple games, and for the the Olympic qualifiers, I was doing it from home, and then I was going in for the World Cup qualifiers in studio, and it all just came from <clears throat> I've known. Uh, Kurt Larson for for quite a while when he was working with the the Toronto Sun and I was playing in the national team, so he would do all this his pieces for it. And it came it, it, it was a random random meeting. Honestly, we I was at the World Football Forum in Paris, so I just finished the season in India and I got Player of the Season for India, and they were trying to. Advertise the league and trying to get somebody involved in the World Football Forum because they so f- such a fledgling league. They wanted to. Have, they had a panel at the World Football Forum, and they asked me to be a part of it because I was obviously based in the UK. And rather than paying somebody massive amounts of money to come over and just be a face of it, they spoke to me. I just won their Player of the Year, so I went out. To it was when the World Cup was on. So when France won the World Cup, I I was in Paris, just conveniently enough. And so the World Football Forum was on. I flew out there with my agent because he was a part of the panel as well. And I'd posted something on social media about on the streets of Paris, France. I think France had just beat. Ah, Memories gone, but they just won a game, and I'd tweeted a a, a message about it and. Kurt Larson's like, whereabouts are you? But I'm on this road. He goes, I'm like half a mile away. (laughs) He's literally on the same road. So he was doing something there. So he was literally on the same road. So we're like, okay, well, we'll meet up. So we went up, met up, had a beer, had a chat. And this is before one soccer and CPL was like a, a thing. right? So... Just being in touch with Kurt, and all of a sudden he he, he gets the gig with uh, with One Soccer and with Media Pro, and they sorted it all out. And Kurt got in touch and asked me my interests if I'm if I'm interested in doing it when I move back over here. Um, and that's it. It's hopefully I'll have a bit more involvement, especially with all these these new qualifiers coming up. Um, hopefully get in studio a little bit more and be able to be a bit more hands on with what's going on with the national team and and obviously CPL as well if if they'll have me. So it's uh no it's, it's something I I enjoy doing because I did it when I did my cruciate ligament when I was out in India. I was doing some TV work out there as well because I couldn't play. So I was training when I I'd played for FC Pune in India which is like 3 hours away from Mumbai where their head okay. office is and where the mm-hmm. studios are. So I would train in the day, finish at about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and get picked up by a driver, and he'd drive me up to Mumbai, do the show, and if I was in training the next day, he'd drive me straight back down. If he did, if I wasn't, I'd stay in a hotel and and do another day and then come back down. So it's something I've done before, doing the TV work, and really enjoyed it. Learned a lot. So if that's another, another avenue for me to stay in the game and be involved in the game over here, I think it's something that I'm, I'll jump out because I really really enjoy it
0: yeah and I really enjoyed hearing you talk because you have so much knowledge about soccer and I've really enjoyed hearing you like talk about the national team and the CPL before and even now like you're sharing so much knowledge and I and I love hearing you talk about soccer because you know so much so much about it um, but I had a question for you regarding the CPL and the national team uh, so is there are a certain players that you like to watch on the national team or in the CPL, or a couple that really catch your eye.
1: It's easy for me to say the CPL or the national team. You got your Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Lairn, Kyle Laird, is he's a Brampton boy, so he grew up where where I grew up with Tiba Hutchinson, and got there's a lot of Brampton guys, which is great. Um, but it's easy for me to say that watching the national team. I'm I'm just I enjoy watching them on the whole. I just, okay. I just, the way they're, they approach the game and the confidence they play with and they've got a kind of no fear attitude, which is great. Um, so I, I can't just say I want to watch one player, apart from Alphonso okay. Davies, because he just does what he wants and the guy's incredible. Um,
2: he's having but, fun, eh? Playing?
1: Oh, well, he's got to, man. Like, look at him. The guy's. Like,
2: <laughs> like move him up from left back at, at Byron and he's just, he's just, okay, well, I'll try some stuff out.
1: Yeah, like that's it. And he's, he's just so fun to watch. And a lot of yeah. them are. And it's, it's it's a great time, like I said before, to, to be a Canadian soccer fan. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll revert back to the CPL. Obviously, when Marcel de Jong was there, I enjoy watching him because he's my old buddy and my old teammate, Nick Ledgerwood. It's great to see him still going and leading Cavalry um dave edgar unfortunately retired but he won two trophies with forge so i'll let him off um uh kyle becker's a a joy to watch he's been a standout for two seasons um i like uh bustos good little good little player good friend of mine um i like watching him play um i think on a whole i just i just enjoy watching the league and um they're they're still learning, but these experienced players and these players have been around. Um, I think they'll definitely help and, and Tristan Borges coming back is, is gonna be good. It's gonna be an, an an important one. Um yes, I I think I also like even though he didn't have a fantastic season last year, I like watching Kevin Aylman. Mm-hmm. He's a a tidy little footballer who broke into the national team a couple of years ago but never really never really hung around because he was down playing in I think like Costa Rica and um, he was doing really well down there, but never really got many more opportunities with the national team. Now, him and Marco uh, Marco Bustos are very, very similar. Hmm. So I like watching them and yeah, I think they'll they'll have big seasons this year too. It's going to be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, I agree with so many players. um like, so much homegrown talent and so many exciting players watching the CPL. It's, you just get more excited to watch the CPL each season.
1: Mm-hmm. And there, there, I don't want to go away from it. it it's Hakeem Garcia, isn't it? The boy uh, uh, at
2: yeah, uh, Halifax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's
1: a good player. I'll, I'll give it to him. He's a very good player and I enjoy watching him. You never know what's going to happen with him. And he's banged some great goals. So, he's another one I'm looking forward to seeing again.
2: Yeah, so speaking of Akeem, Hakim um, is is also um, you know a smaller striker, so like like you, like you are. Um, what's one advantage you have as a smaller striker? Because you know on the one hand you have like the really tall like Zlatan type, um, you know. So what's what's the advantage of of being a, a smaller striker? Because obviously you were um, you know have been signed by a lot of teams that where you kind of came in and were that that important striker and and really called to put the ball in the net. Um
1: I I don't know if there's any massive advantages. Um I think sometimes you're very underestimated as far as your your aerial ability, your your quickness. Um you kind of get rushed aside. People think, "Oh, he's a little guy. I'll take him." And you you kind of catch them off guard like I did that quite a lot um people again going back to with me everyone thought I was small you'd beat me in the air and I'd beat you in the air because I worked so much on timing and my jumps and obviously leaping ability I, I worked on a lot my jumping ability when I was a kid um so I got underestimated a lot I wasn't quick but I wasn't slow so I'd always be in your face and I'd always be around and you you just become a pest and that. I know a team might be a little bit uh, different to the player that I am, but when I was playing I, I made sure I left the mark. I made sure you knew I was playing against you. Even if even if you beat me, you knew after ninety minutes you were you you'd earned that. Um, you no, know, but that's it. And it's it's something that you have to do is you make sure that your your ninety minutes or your seventy five minutes or however long you're on the field is something that the player you're up against remembers because you don't want to be looked at as a pushover and an easy, easy opponent and by no means be dirty, by no means be nasty and play like that against people. But you, you have to have that little bit of a a bite to your game and make sure like being short. it's, It's not something that, that is always looked at as being a positive thing. So it's, um, it's not an attribute that coaches look at and go, Oh, he's five foot seven, I'm gonna sign him. <laughs> so yeah. they'll say, Oh, he's five foot seven, but oh, have you seen the way he runs, see his work ethic, have you seen that? So for the right. things that we lack in stature and in in natural abilities and natural attributes you have to make up for it in heart and work and, and something special and I'd bang a couple decent goals at a season and then I'd make sure I add another ten or 12 to that and and also run run as much if not more than anybody else on the field and you you get a smile on the face of the coach and that's what it was after
2: well Stephen hart yeah i mean Stephen hart when we interviewed him one of the things that that he said he actually brought up your name as someone that you know when he was coaching the national team um you know, it, we, we, the question was related to making a substitution and someone that could make an impact. And he mentioned you as someone that he like of all the players he'd worked with. You know, something needs to change in the game. He'd bring you in. You know, because I, because I, I guess you bring that that tenacity, that that work ethic, and just kind of shake up the uh, the game. So, what was that like?
1: Well, it was my a lesson. I love Steven. and um, i It's it's a crazy one because if you'd have looked, you know. The amount of times I sat on the bench for Steven, um, it hurt. And looking back at it, it hurt. And this is nothing against Steven. It's just I want to play all the time. Um, having him say that and watching him say I watched your part, your piece with him. Having seen him say that, it, it, it let me understand it a little bit more. Um, because I was different to Tosain Ricketts, to Simeon Jackson, to... Lucas Cavallini, to these guys, I was different. Um, Lucas Cavallini is very similar to how I play, actually. He's he's physical, he's aggressive, he, he likes to run around and make sure he leaves a mark, whereas Tossain Ricketts and Simeon Jackson are complete opposites to me. They're a lot more pace-driven, they're a lot more get-down-the-channels and all that. I'll do that, but I don't do it to the same level as them, um, as far as uh, natural pace. But Again, they also don't have the attributes that I have where I'll run through a brick wall for you and come out covered in bruises and blood and it doesn't bother me. Whereas they're the opposite. And as much as I... No, that's it. That was what yeah, my yeah. upbringing is. I, I'm I'm a winner. I'm a, I am ai have to win. I have to... Whether it's practice, whether it's shooting session, whether it's head tennis, whether it's anything, I have to win. And my kids have learned that. My daughters have learned that. Video games, whatever it's I'll try and win at all costs and I'm not I'm not a horrible person for that and I'm not a horrible father for that but um, it's just the way I am it's something that's in my makeup and um, as much as I'd have loved to have played a lot more and it, it, it always obsessed me to this day that I didn't play a lot more for my country is hearing Steven say that it kind of gave me a little bit more understanding um, frustration came in quite a lot and that Honduras game that we would spoke about and that has been publicized over the last couple of days being nine years past is that haunts me to this day but I know I came on and as bad as the performance was as a whole I know I came on and I gave my heart my all so I know it was a little bit late in the day but I came away with that with my head a little bit high Not, not obviously nose to the roof type of high because we just been hammered 8-1 but I walked away from that knowing I gave everything and unfortunately I think there was a, a lot of heads that were, were gone after that and a lot of us were overlooked after that with the national team and I was talking to Atiba Hutchinson about it the other day and I only played I think four more games after that game so for anyone to say we weren't not exiled but Look past after that game which I'd brought up on social media last week when I when I commented on it after Stephen had put his documentary on uh, the mini documentary on one soccer a lot of us were looked past after that we were we were deemed as not good enough which was frustrating for me because I did nothing but give my best and a lot of the guys were the same did nothing but give their best for the country but for some reason the next the next cycle of coaches and players and that that came in we were we were overlooked, and then that that one hurt harder
2: than than everything else. To be honest, well, do you think that the media um, has too much of a, a of kind of an influence, you know, or they're able to influence, you know, kind of put pressure on the coach to kind of look at that that next group of players?
1: But it's uh, it's crazy because I was twenty eight. <laughs> like, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't certain about but that's it. Like we had we had a lot of players like Ante Jazic. Um, Kevin McKenna Lars Hirschfeld they were towards the end of their careers anyways um, mm-hmm. they knew that they knew that was their last cycle but you look at Tebah Hutchinson was what 8 months older than me 9 months older than me and he's still in the system I'm, I'm not saying I belong in the system now don't get me wrong I'm not saying that in the slightest but I've not played I've played 4 games in 9 years
2: yeah
1: like come on <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm yeah, that frustrated the heck out of me and um I lost a lot of a lot of faith in the political side of the game. And I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why um, a lot of us were kind of pushed to the side. Um, but it is what it is. It's football. And I've still never had an explanation. I've still never had a goodbye. I've never had a, oh, listen to me, you're on the outskirts. Maybe come in for one. We never had anything like that, so. 20, 25 years of my life to the Canadian system to go out the way I did frustrated me quite a lot, and I've had I've spoken to numerous players of my own age and whatnot who was in the same boat, so it's it's kind of across the board thing, and I don't know where it all came from, but the media did have a a lot to say about it, especially the media that didn't have a lot to say about soccer until it's the big trophies, until it's the World <laughs> Cup. But that's unfortunately the thing is yeah. soccer is a second thought when it's not a World Cup or a Euros to majority of people, unfortunately. Um, and that's where we need to change it. That's where the the governing bodies and the, the Canadian Soccer Association and your provincial associations need to change the narrative about soccer because the biggest sport in the world it's the most supportive sport in the world. Let's let's make it that okay. Canada's got bigger sports in their minds, but it's not. Let's 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 be honest. You have a you have ice hockey, you have basketball, you have baseball. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have soccer. You know what I mean? So it's it's something that needs to be the narrative needs to be changed on that. It probably did have a lot to say about our massive failure nine years ago.
0: Yeah, I think if, uh, like, if a lot of media don't, like, watch the game and they don't, like, really, like, like, I'm not saying that a lot of media that don't cover soccer don't know, like, a lot about soccer, but they don't know, like, all the tactics and stuff and the little changes that the coaches do. And if you're not looking at it concentrating, the score can be misleading. Like, the Euro Cup. Um, North Macedonia lost to Austria three one. Like it was twenty sixth place to like sixty second I think or something like that. North Macedonia and for most of the game, North Macedonia was like really um, was like better really, team. yeah, was really the better team. But if, but the way the media look at it, if they don't, if they didn't watch the whole game or they didn't pay a lot of attention, they're gonna think, oh yeah, Austria won that pretty easily. But it's the truth is, they didn't.
1: Scotland-Czech Republic. Scotland Scotland had five, six really good chances, should have scored. Yeah. Czech Republic had two and scored. So, and one of them was a worldie. And then you've got the Portuguese game, and this is not a hit at Portugal, but they weren't good. Ronaldo was having a bad game, scored two, and all of a sudden he's a world beater. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the narrative. That's the narrative is Ronaldo is, to a lot of people, the GOAT. Him and Messi, the two goats. I'm a Messi fan personally, but Ronaldo is Ronaldo. He scores goals, but for 85 minutes, he was having a nightmare. He wasn't involved. He was walking around. He was complaining about misplaced passes to him and, and scores two, and all of a sudden, it's the Ronaldo show, and it wasn't. So, the narrative is, when press sees that, they see two, or three nothing, Portugal. They see two goals from Ronaldo. Incredible Ronaldo. No, it wasn't. Like, watch the game, but Unfortunately, and this is the way the world in every aspect of life and every sport is the dollar signs rule the world. And if they don't think they're going to get people viewing, it's a waste of money. So we'll get the big sports in, we'll get the big uh, tournaments in. So we know we're going to have people watching. So right. unfortunately that's the, that's the way it is. I
2: I loved watching Hungary in that game for the first 80 minutes. Um, just the way they were they were doing tackles and they were like slide tackling and the guy was like keeping the ball like at his feet and getting up quick. I mean, it was, that was just inspiring to watch.
1: Yeah, and that's the major tournament. So you've always got an upset. You've always got an underdog who's going to come and put in performances, whether they win or lose. North Macedonia, again today, They they played well and, it's okay. They didn't win again. They got beat, but you always get these smaller nations who there are no pushovers and people. It's the same as in CONCACAF. You're going to oh. play your El Salvador's. You're going to play your your uh, Nicaraguas and your Haitis and Surinams and this and there are no pushovers. But people seem to think, oh, well, it's Suriname. They're they're nobody's. Canada's playing Suriname. We don't need to see that. Well, we kind of do because. It's the it's the ladder for us to to qualify. So you earn your right to qualify, and the boys have earned their right. They like this is reverting back to the national team is they go down to to Haiti in the team oh. that they lost to in the Gold Cup the last time they played against them. So there's obviously a there's going to be an element of fear there. There's going to be an element of oh if it happens again or do they flip that completely and say you know what we're going to go down there and we're going to beat them. We're going to make sure we beat them. And they did that. But there was probably not as many people watching the game as there should have been because it's a moldy game against Hayden But that's where that's where your non-football lovers, that's where they they don't see the, the bigger picture. And how do, how do you generate a fan base? You get people watching on mainstream television, on your one soccer, you get people watching from the ground up. And if mm-hmm. they're watching from the ground up and they go and see that 12 nothing win against the... Cayman Islands, they go see this against uh, Aruba, and they go watch Haiti. You generate that fan base. You generate that winning mentality as a fan. And when you get to those bigger games, there's that hope and there's that kind of an expectation, which this generation needs, is no longer having the expectation of losing. Oh. Or you're going to lose to Costa Rica. Well, why? We're Because we're Canada? No, that's not, that's not right. We're Canada. We have a new generation. We're going to go win. So you want that be generated mm-hmm. fan base and unfortunately up until the last the last couple months it's not been there and that's where we need to get now we're in the oct why not got mm-hmm. nothing to lose
2: yeah for sure for sure
0: so this is I, I'm kind of jumping um uh, back to wh- something that you said a bit earlier um, but you mentioned the euro cup and we've talked about it a little bit But who are your favorites to win? Who is your underdog and who are you cheering for? Well,
1: I'll always cheer for Scotland. So I'll tell you that now. I'll cheer for Scotland. But in the same breath, which comes down to a lot of people uh, divided opinions on this, is I'll cheer for England as well. I spent 21 years of my life in England. Mm -hmm. So my wife and my kids are both from England. So I've spent the majority of my life and the vast percentage of my life in England. So I'll always support them. Um, again, I'm born in Scotland, so this is where I get the divided reactions <laughs> from family members. Yeah. How can you support England sports? Well, yeah. that's me. Um, I think an outsider has to be England. An outsider has to be England. Um, because of the players they've got, they, they, they've got one of the deepest squads. Uh-huh. Uh, but again, having watched Italy... Italy are so impressive right now. I know they've not come up against one of the big guns yet, so that'll be an interesting one. But my favorites, as I stated a couple of times, my two favorites are uh, France and Belgium. Mm-hmm. I think their squads and their stars are exactly that, they stars. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'd love to see France do the double. Um, It'd be great to see them be world and European champions, um, but it's it's the Euros. It's a tournament you never know. Like you just don't know what's going to happen, and it happens every every tournament. There's always something that comes up. Portugal shouldn't have won the last one; they did. Greece shouldn't have won it years ago; they did. Right,
2: yeah. you know
1: There's always <laughs> going to be something that pops up, and I'm, I'm, I just love tournaments. I just love watching them. I'm, again, the football geek in me comes out, and I get to sit and watch soccer for 5 hours a day, kind of good. My wife hates it but it's kind (laughs) of (laughs) good.